From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Christos Anesti, Alitos Anesti, Happy Easter to my Orthodox Christian listeners, family and friends. Hope you had a meaningful Holy Week. And for you non-Orthodox Christians, if you were coming home from somewhere late Saturday nights into Sunday morning, and you were in your car, and you looked over and saw in the car next to you a candle, an actual lit candle in the car, uh, that's what that was all about. It's all part of Orthodox Easter. Those were Orthodox Christians coming home late from the Resurrection Liturgy. And that candle was lit from a flame that came all the way from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Please note, there is no live YouTube stream tonight. It will resume next week. Second hour of this transmission, Rosemary Ellen Guiley on Saints, Incorrupt Bodies and Miracles. My first hour guest stumbled onto a fascinating subculture in North America inspired by comic book heroes. This subculture is known by the initials RLSH, Real Life Superheroes, ordinary men and women who create superhero identities for themselves, design superhero costumes, and then head out into the mean streets of major cities all over North America to fight crime and help the less fortunate. T. Krulos is the author of of heroes in the night inside the real life superhero movement. T. Krulos, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So this is a fascinating subculture. Let me let me again repeat the name of the book, Heroes in the Night Inside the Real Life Superhero Movement. This was your first work of nonfiction. You've written other books, but I wanted to dial back to this one because I'm not real familiar with this subculture. I've seen it in the movies, but I didn't actually realize that there were people running around with their own costumes and their own names and and fighting crime. How did you discover this subculture? Yeah, it was um it was a really fun day when I discovered this. So it started I was um riding the bus, reading the local weekly newspaper, and there's a column called News of the Weird that's uh, syndicated. And there was just a very short blurb that said, hey, there's this subculture of people that call themselves real-life superheroes, and they actually adopt their own personas and hit the streets looking for crime. And I was like, huh, that's really strange. And, you know, I, I'm a lifelong comic book fan, so I thought it was interesting, and it just kept bugging me. Um, I was walking around doing errands, and I was like, wait, what does that mean? Like, who are these people, and and what do they do? So I'm a freelance writer here in Milwaukee, and um, I was like, I wonder if there's a local guy here in Milwaukee, uh, or a team, or whatever, because I would love to meet them and write a magazine article about yeah, it. Yeah, like the River River West Ranger or something. Right. Yes, Exactly. So um, when I got home, I, I hopped on the Internet and, and did some searching. And sure enough, I found this guy um, who calls himself the Watchman. And he had his own, uh, it was a MySpace page, actually. This was a while ago. And so I sent him a message, and I was like, I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm not looking to make fun of you. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about this. Um, you want to tell me your story? And he said, sure, why don't you meet me in uh, um, 
a city park, you know, later this week at night. So I go to this park, and I'm kind of pacing around. It's cold outside, and all of a sudden, there he is um, walking towards me, wearing a full-on costume. <laughs> you know, he had a mask and gloves and a shirt with his logo on it. And I can't describe that moment because it's like, wow, this is for real, actually. Like someone I've walked seen... out of a, co- a DC comic book, yeah. right, and there he is in front of you. Yeah, and um, so we walked around, and I found him really interesting and a really earnest guy. Um, a lot of what he was saying made sense to me, you know. And he didn't. He definitely didn't seem like he was psychotic or anything like that. Was he a big guy? Um, yeah, I would say uh, he's similar in height to me. So he's about six four or so. Uh, That's a big guy. Yeah. Did he uh, look to be in pretty good shape? Yeah, he's in decent shape. He used to be in the army. It was really great that I made this good connection to him because he kind of put in a good word for me uh, among the real life superhero community. I guess you would call it. Oh, so they keep in contact, sort of, I guess, online. Yeah, they um, they used to do most of that on forums. They have their own forums, and that kind of gradually shifted into, uh, you know, like Facebook and other social media. Right, right. And and I was like, well, I'm very fascinated about this whole thing, actually. And you know, I hadn't written a book. I didn't have a publisher, but I really believed it was a good story. So I would, you know, every few months finance a trip to New York or Vancouver and Seattle and uh, would meet up with these guys and join them on patrol, uh, help them with charity events. Uh, I went to a real-life superhero conference in New Bedford, Massachusetts. That was really interesting. And really kind of became embedded in the subculture. Let me just remind listeners, T. Krulos is here, and uh, the book is called Heroes in the Night. Now, I want to get back to the Watchmen before we sort of go to other locations and discuss other real-life superheroes, or RLSH is the acronym. Mm -hmm. So describe his costume in a little more detail. You mentioned he's got this W emblazoned on his shirt and he was wearing a mask. What kind of a mask? It's red. It's made out of rubber. It's kind of like Batman's mask, but without the, the pointy ears on it. So like a cowl. Yeah, a cowl, uh, exactly. Um, and he has red leather gloves. He usually wears, uh, depending, this is Wisconsin, you know, so the weather fluctuates quite a bit. So you know, in colder months, he would have a sweatshirt with his logo on it and a trench coat and boots. And then in the summer, he has kind of a, a lighter weight, more colorful costume. Right. And... What does he do? Uh, he just patrols various neighborhoods in Milwaukee. I've been to Milwaukee, and uh, mm-hmm. great town, uh, great museum, and, and of course the Brewers, great stadium, and so forth. But there are some, like most big cities, there are a few dodgy ends yeah. of town. So what does he do? I, well, and you know, I found it very interesting because the neighborhood I live in, I love the neighborhood. Um, it's got a lot of creative people in it, artists and musicians. But, you know, it does have crime problems. Um, Is that River West? River West. Yeah, I know it. Great coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's lots and lots of stuff I love about the neighborhood, but definitely I've heard many sto- horror stories about my friends getting mugged or robbed. So I was like, I'm maybe 
if thinking outside the box here could work, you know. So um, I I actually did do many foot patrols with him, and he eventually developed a team. Um, and we would walk around all night in River West, uh, trying to see if there was situations that we could intervene in or help people out. So he does patrols, but most real life superheroes do kind of a mix of like neighbor. It, I describe it as like a costume neighborhood watch patrol. Right, right. And they also like to draw attention to themselves to do charity events. So, for example, for a while, um, the Watchmen and his group were doing um, a, a Christmas toy drive. They donated the toys to charity, and um, they do other events like that as well. And when did he make the decision? How did he make the decision that he was going to make himself a costume, assume this alias, and go out and, and patrol the streets of of Milwaukee, Wisconsin at night? How did that happen for him? He's a big comic book fan, too, of course. Uh, most real-life superheroes are. Not all of them, but most of them are big into comic books. He's kind of rare, though, in that he had this idea before it was really a social movement online. He just um, was inspired by the comic books, and he was like, this is something, you know, I want to do. Maybe it will inspire other people. And um, eventually it's, he found the online uh, presence and started connecting with other people. And has he been involved in some sort of a takedown? Has he apprehended a criminal? Has he prevented a crime from taking place? Has he saved anyone's life? I think, you know, he's he has a couple of stories where he has um, defused or scared people away from a bad situation. So, you know, he tells me a story of he heard about an underage party and he saw um, some guys that looked like they were going to take advantage of a woman who was inebriated, and he kind of scared them off, you know. Well, he's an, so it sounds like he's like an that. imposing figure. He could do that. Yeah, yeah I would. Uh, if I saw him walking down a dark alley, I um, would be scared. T. Krulos is with us, a writer and author of Heroes in the Night, Inside the Real Life Superhero Movement. He's also the author of Monster Hunters. We'll have to have you back to do another show on, on, on that. But uh, yeah. again, this subculture is absolutely fascinating. Now, is he the watchman we're talking about in Wisconsin? Is he known to locals? Do they uh, Have they taken a shine to them? Has he sort of... Uh, to taken on sort of folk hero status? Is he known to the police? Um, yes, I would say to all that. Uh, especially in River West, it was it was fun. I remember one night we were on patrol and uh, we walked by a house party and someone spot him. And he went to the party and he was like, it's the Watchmen! <laughs> and everyone at this party came out in the yard and they all wanted to have their pictures taken with him. And uh, it, it was really fun. And he's had encounters with the police. Um, I remember one of the first patrols I went on, I was with him and another real-life superhero from Milwaukee named Blackbird. And um, the police were kind of circling around us, and then they stopped. And they're like, okay, so are you guys going to a costume party? And he was like, uh, no, we're actually just out here doing a safety patrol. They got alarmed about that for a minute right. and um, asked to see their IDs, uh, had them take off their masks so they could run their IDs. 
but you know as they gradually were able to explain themselves a little bit more um the police were like well okay it's it's not illegal you know and we're not the fashion police <laughs> so <laughs> i mean just be safe and you know um so the response i think has been somewhat positive i've heard other stories and uh seen at least one other encounter where police are not happy with this subculture and they're basically like we this is our job to do what you're doing and we don't want amateur participants well i can understand obviously they don't want someone getting hurt i mean it requires proper training but the watchman had a, had a career in the military right i'm i'm assuming yeah. he was trained in self-defense hand-to-hand combat and all that that stuff that superheroes need to know yeah yeah. Does he have any sort of uh, accoutrement like, uh, you know, of course, Batman had the utility belt and and the Batmobile? What does the Watchman have? Any of that stuff? <laughs> his uh, car is not as impressive as a Batmobile, that's for sure. Um, I thought, it, I love this, though. He um, would sometimes bring his dog on patrol with him and called him the Watchdog. <laughs> of so, course. Um, that was kind of a cool comic book thing, you know, like... Um, Batman had Ace the Bat Hound would appear in some of the older comics. Right, right. And so um, his wingman, pardon the pun, uh, <laughs> Blackbird, mm-hmm. did they always work as a team or are they sort of, did they have their own sort of jurisdictions, if I can use that term? No, they um, formed a team called the Challengers. Uh, the Challengers have not been active for a while now. And but for a while they slowly grew in numbers until they had about six or seven um, guys and one girl on the team. So sort of uh, River West Wisconsin's version of the Justice League, I suppose. Right. Yeah. All right, T. Uh, you hold on. We're going to step away for just a moment. Come back and continue to discuss this absolutely fascinating subculture: real life superheroes. And the book is Heroes in the Night, Inside the Real-Life Superhero Movement. T. Krulos, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with T. Krulos, Heroes in the Night, Inside the Real-Life Superhero Movement. And um, we were talking about the Watchmen in, uh, in Wisconsin. So... Um, I wanted before we move on to other areas. I wanted to talk about sort of the the antecedents uh, to the um, the real life superhero movement because this sort of thing uh, has happened before. Uh, and you point out, I think this was an, a brilliant example, uh, and that was uh, TV's The Lone Ranger, Clayton Moore. Mm-hmm. Tell me about him. Right. Well, Clayton Moore later in his life, he kind of did appearances as the Lone Ranger and did charity events and stuff like that and kind of acted like a real-life superhero in a way. And the really interesting thing I found was what I called the early prototypes. So before the Internet, you did see examples of real-life superheroes here and there randomly, and they weren't connected, and they probably didn't know about each other, but randomly would appear. Um... So there was a costumed character in Mexico City named Super Barrio, and he dressed like a luchador, 
and he would um, organize protests and marches, rallying behind causes like immigration and housing rights and workers' rights. Now, luchador, are the, they're the masked wrestlers. The max, masked uh, Mexican wrestlers. Right. People yeah. may remember that movie with Jack Black. Right. Which was fabulous. Yeah. Um, so he was an example. Uh, and slowly, I just found more and more were popping up. There was a woman in New York City named Terrifica, and she had apparently had bad experiences with men. So she kind of patrolled the bars looking for inebriated women to... You know, call call a taxi for them, walk them home, um, whatever. And did she have a costume? Yeah, a very colorful pink costume with like a blonde wig and a mask and a cape. And what it was sort of her era, or is she still out there? Late nineties. Late nineties. The internet was around, but there really wasn't an internet culture behind this at that point. And then, you know, some of the other early examples, I kind of counted this guy. There was a a guy who called himself the Fox, and he was an environmental activist. And he would do actions like um, there was a soap company dumping sludge into a river near his house. And this was before there was really any sort of environmental laws. So he actually backed the pipe up so the sludge would go back into the factory. And he would leave a note that said, you know, don't mess with Mother Nature. Find <laughs> the fox. There you go. It, and he didn't really have a costume, but he did. He had kind of a spy costume. I would describe it as ah, so more like a action. Green Hornet. Yeah, well, more minus like a, the mask. I would say like yeah, kind of like that or a Russian spy. You know, so one action he did was he wore a trench coat and he wore a big fur hat and, and sunglasses and a scarf, and he walked into um, the corporate offices of this corporation uh, polluting the rivers and threw some of the sludge onto the floor of the reception room and, you know, left and, you know, handed the receptionist a note that said, this is what you're doing to the river. But uh, he was also a gentleman. I love the story because he saw that he had scared the receptionist um, and he felt bad about that. So he sent her um, a dozen roses with a note that said, Hey, I, I didn't mean to scare you. I was just trying to make a statement. There you go. Well, he learned, you know, uh, from Adam West and all those cats, you got to be a gentleman if you're going to be a superhero. It's interesting, the calling card, because uh, we, I just mentioned uh, the Green Hornet. He had that, of course. He had his calling card. Um, what about, um, I mean, did any of the other superheroes that you studied uh, and, and, and write about, did they have... Uh, some sort of a calling card, other, aside from their costume, something that's made them sort of special and stand out? Yeah, a lot of them had like a business card that they would hand out. Um, so one of the guys I met called himself Thanatos, and he um, is from Vancouver. And he's kind of he's a street legend there among homeless people because he assembles these care packs that have like water and socks and food and supplies and uh, hands them out. So I joined him for one of these handouts really early in the morning, like five in the morning. And I was like, I'm a little skeptical about this because this guy is wearing like a green skull mask and he's waking up homeless people at five in the morning. Yikes. 
I was like, that might not be good. But <laughs> to my surprise, he was, everyone knew who he was. They're like, oh, it's Thanatos. And people were giving him hugs. And just everyone who was homeless in Vancouver knew who this guy was and what he was about. Right, down on Hastings. Yes. Yeah, right. that's a rough area. Yeah. And what does that name mean? Is it Thanatos? Yes, that is the god of death. And there's an interesting story um, behind that name. Before he was a real-life superhero, he was doing something similar. He just wasn't wearing a costume. And one day he's doing this, and he, he runs into a cop, and the, and the cop's like, you're wasting your time, man. All these people are are going to die. And so he kind of adopted this persona as like a parody of death or, you know, if if these people have nothing to look forward to but death, then I'm going to be a, a friendly version of that. Interesting. Right. Because we should point out, those not familiar with, with Hastings in, in Vancouver, it's East Vancouver, I think, right? These yeah. are, um, they're not just homeless. These are heroin addicts and, and crack cocaine addicts and people with some serious mental illnesses and, and, and drug addiction problems. So, yeah. Um, and, and I think he was particularly, he's of that himself. He's one of the older real life superheroes I met. He was, when I met him, he was in his, 60s and so he's a vietnam vet and you know it made him very upset to see some of his fellow vets are now homeless on the street sure how closely do they guard their real identity it varies from not guarding it at all to being somewhat paranoid about it so some were very open with me and i went to their houses and you know met their wives or husbands and some of them were like, okay, I'm going to talk to you, but you can't say, you know, even what side of town I live on or, you know, what type of car I drive. So, you know, and I respect that. I was like, yeah, any anything you want me to keep confidential, I will. So, you know, by night, a, a caped crusader, but by day, what are some of the jobs? What are some of the day jobs these people have? It ranged so, and this was very fascinating to me, too. Um, it ranged quite a bit um, from dishwashers at Waffle House to guys who have kind of a good job um, in Fortune 500 companies. You know, there's one I met that was worked in the newspaper industry. Um, and in, in addition to the economic diversity, it's just, you know, there's liberal, conservative, um, a lot of white guys, but not exclusively. Um, the age range was quite a bit. So I was like, well, this is kind of an inspiring uh, part of the story, too, is that even though they have radical differences, a lot of times they'll put those aside to work on a project together. So, and especially with, you know, the, the political climate over the last few years, it's kind of rare that you see that, I think. Absolutely. Yes, the chasm between the left and right is has never been wider. It's interesting because now that you mention that, I remember in Washington, D.C., there was a very rare moment where uh, there were um, left-leaning groups marching and right, I guess they called them the alt-right, they were marching, and there were some clashes. By and large, they were well-behaved, and then all of a sudden, someone was missing their dog. 
Uh-huh. And this actually, this video went viral, and all of a sudden, people came together to look for this lost dog. And I think it was, uh, you know, someone from the right found the dog and brought them over, and it was a protester, and they hugged. It was remarkable to see. T. Yeah. Krulos is with us, and uh, we're talking about his uh, wonderful, amazing book, a, a Look Inside, the Real-Life Superhero Subculture. It's called Heroes in the Night. Um, I don't know how well you were able to sort of delve into their psyche, but is there sort of a common denominator, or were there instances where these individuals had themselves suffered some kind of a trauma i'm thinking of course of batman and his inspiration of Uh course in the comic book he witnesses his parents being murdered during a robbery outside a movie theater did you run across anything maybe not that dramatic but anything like that that sort of set their trajectory for these people yeah nothing that dramatic but certainly personal experiences are an influence on some so some have been victims of crime or, or know people who have been victims of crime. Some of them have children and they just are inspired to try to make the world a better place because they want the world to be a better place for their children. A really interesting thing is at least a couple of them um, come from a background where they were the criminal. Oh, and interesting. They... they kind of are doing this as like a penance, I think. Fascinating. Um, you know, they they think that they've done bad things in their past and they're trying to give back. Um, another superhero I knew was a recovering alcoholic, and this is kind of how he stays sober. Instead of going out and drinking, he walks around the city for hours and hours at night. Is there a superhero, real-life superhero that stands out in your mind as one that really sort of gets in there and mucks it up with the bad guys and, you know, maybe even actually risks his life on a regular basis? Well, yeah, I had a very frightening night um, when I visited Seattle. I met a real-life superhero there named Phoenix Jones. He became a a pretty famous real-life superhero. Um, And he is a... A guy filled with action, that's for sure. But, so, um, and and before I, I tell you the story, I want to say that Phoenix Jones has done a lot of good things in Seattle. He's done a lot of great charity events. He's helped people out. He's inspired people. But um, I think he's made some mistakes, too. So I went out to Seattle, and we're patrolling. This is about 3 a.m., and we see a group of people fighting each other. Like there's two guys. One guy's on the ground. The other guy's punching and kicking him. So Phoenix Jones runs into the middle of this and pepper sprays the guys fighting. And they get very angry. Um, and we find out they're Russians. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> they start screaming in Russian. And it just turned into the scene of chaos. Um, Pepper spraying is not an exact science, so other people in this group got pepper sprayed, and they were very angry. There was a woman who took off her high heel shoe and was beating Phoenix Jones on the head with it over and over again. Oh, my Lord. Um, They kind of grouped together and then all ran at us and attacked all of us. Oh, my Lord. I got punched in the face, and I said, no, no, don't punch me. Um, and then Phoenix Jones pepper sprayed them all again. Oh my gosh. And so 
uh, and at one point it looked like they might be going for a gun or something. And so, um, you know, I kind of, I, I was, I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I saw in the street, there was like this little concrete island that divides traffic. T, forgive so, me, but we're going to do a little cliffhanger. You can't have okay. a superhero show without a cliffhanger. We're going to take a quick sure. time out. You're going to tell us how this ended. Happily, I hope. Back with more <laughs> of my conversation with T. Krulos as we continue to delve into this fascinating subculture of real-life superheroes. Back with more in a moment. Keeping a watchful eye on the new world order. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with uh, T. Krulos. Pardon the interruption. T. had to take care of some business, but we were just in the middle of a, well, it was a cliffhanger. So you went out with uh, Phoenix Jones in Seattle, this real-life superhero, and uh, he tried to intervene in a uh, kind of a melee between two uh, Russians and uh, pepper sprayed them. And some uh, others that were sort of gathered around got pepper sprayed. They turned into a mob and they set upon you, uh, uh, punched you, and attacked you. A woman took off her high heel shoe and started beating Phoenix Jones over the head with it. This is not sounding good. And at one point, you said you were afraid that someone was going for a gun. So what happened? So I saw that, and I'm like, I need to remove myself from immediate danger. So I saw this concrete island in the street. And so this was my thinking. I'm like, I'm going to cross the lane of traffic, stand on this little concrete island, if these guys try to attack me, I can push them into traffic, and then I can run up the street, you know? All right. So I'm standing there, and Phoenix Jones runs over, and he stands next to me, and he's like, I'm sorry about this. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I got punched, but, you know, I'm fine. And then we hear this revving, loud revving sound, and we look over, and two of the guys have gotten into a big SUV. Oh, no. And they start peeling out and driving towards us. I'm like, they're going to try to hit us with this car. So Phoenix Jones ran one way, and I ran the other way and hid behind this concrete uh, pillar. We were kind of by a parking garage type thing. And the the SUV stops, and the guys get out and start throwing rocks at Phoenix Jones. And I was like, this is, they're going to crush their brains in with these rocks, and then they're going to come looking for me. So then I hear this beautiful sound, which is police sirens. <laughs> yes. The cavalry. I'm like, I'm like, um, so, and I described this in a chapter, uh, one of my favorite quotes was, there's a, a video guy with us that night too. And he called 911. And this is how he described the scene, which is also the chapter of the title about this. People fighting and superheroes and pepper spray and I don't know. So the police that could have up. that could have quickly turned south, and you might not be with us. Right, right. Yeah, it was one of the most frightening nights of my life for sure. Oh, bad. You know, we just passed March thirteenth, the anniversary of a pretty gruesome murder in New York City. It was the slaying of this young woman, Kitty Genovese. Yeah, uh, and these real life superheroes. They take that day and they commemorate it. It's become sort of the official holiday of this subculture. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that and why. Right. So the case um, happened in New York in the in the 60s, if I'm remembering that, yes. or maybe yeah. the early 70s. But um, Kitty Genovese, 
came home. She was working at a bar. She came home. This man um, began to assault her, and he later told police that he'd gone out just because he wanted to kill a woman. And she's crying for help, and as the story goes at the time, um, her neighbors and a newspaper later made, it was sort of an inflated count, of 39 neighbors who had witnessed this and did nothing to help her. Yes. So it was kind of the case study of people's apathy towards other people. So um, real-life superheroes, some of them on that date, will do a special, it's like a memorial type of holiday, and they'll patrol kind of in her memory. Some of them hand out literature that explains the case. And, you know, they kind of say this is the reason, one of the motivations behind the subculture is that we don't want things like this to happen. If you see someone in danger, you should help them out and not just pull the blinds on your window and ignore it. You're right. Psychologists, sociologists use the Kitty Genovese case as a case study. And we're heading into another break here. This was a short segment, but I want to start this conversation now and then continue after the break. Uh, I'll just throw the question out now, and we will talk about it. Uh, we're about a minute away here. But and that is, speaking of sociologists and psychologists, I wonder what they make of this uh, phenomenon and whether you had a chance to speak to them, whether they whether they think this is a good idea, a bad idea, whether whether psychologists, for example, maybe, you know how they do, they try to crawl into people's brains and... and uh, Use their Freudian analysis and try to and try to figure out what makes these people tick. We'll do that when we come back. T. Krulos is uh, with us, and uh, we're talking about real life superheroes, heroes in the night. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with T. Krulos. Tell me about the blog, first of all, before we um, get on to other matters. Yeah, so a very useful tool for me in writing this book was, I was like, well, if I'm going to claim to have some expertise about this, then I should try to chronicle this. And so I had a, a heroesinthenight.blogspot.com um, where I just shared information about people that I'd met, patrols I'd went on. I featured for a while um, a real-life superhero of the week type thing, where I just had their picture and some basic details. Um, I did some polls with real-life superheroes and, and posted the results. And um, it was it was great because the blog got picked up a lot in media pieces, and um, it kind of laid the groundwork for the book. There are some great photos on the um, the blog, and again, it's heroesinthenight.blogspot. Is that .ca? No, .com. .com. Anyway, there's a, a great photo of, you know, my favorite uh, superhero growing up was Batman. Not the Bob Kane, you know, not, not the comic book necessarily. I was more of the Adam West, Burt Ward, you know, had the great villains, and of course, it was kind of campy. But it turns out that there was a, an earlier prototype, and you talk about this bat, the um, El Murcielago, 
uh-huh. known as the Bat, this Mexican wrestler. Here we go with the Mexican wrestlers again. Tell me about El Murcielago. Yeah, it was very interesting because, as you said, he did Batman. So he was a luchador that had um, a bat appearance. He didn't really do real-life superhero type of activities. But I just you know, thought it was interesting that he was kind of Batman's Mexican precursor. <laughs> yeah, he, he debuted back in April of 19. 19- 38, a full year you write here on your blog, a full year before Bob Kane and Bill Finger created Batman in Detective Comics number 27, and -hmm. also before Norman Daniels, a.k.a. G. Wyman Jones, introduced his Pulp Fiction hero, the Black Bat, in July of 1939. Now, you convened, you had a, there was a conference, like a Comic-Con or something, and you sort of assembled a panel of some of these superheroes, these real-life superheroes. Who was on that panel? Oh, it was great. So after the book came out, I was like, well, you know, a fun way to promote this was to hit up some of the Comic-Cons and see if they'd be interested in having me host uh, a panel of real-life superheroes. So I did three or four of them. Um, I did Wizard World Chicago. I did the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo, C2E2, and Minneapolis wizard world um and a couple smaller conventions too so i switched it up a little bit but the watchman and blackbird were on two of those panels um electron he was uh from lacrosse uh when i did the minneapolis one i had razor hawk yeah tell me about razor hawk who's razor 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 hawk such a cool guy um he's a former semi-pro wrestler so he's a big guy he used to wrestle under the name jack t ripper (laughs) um and just a really nice guy and organizes this big event called hope um and he started doing it at the san diego comic-con which of course is one of the biggest conventions in, in the world so i was I was fortunate enough to be able to take a vacation to San Diego and, um, you know, not only observe these guys, but I, I pitched in and helped. They had a huge truck full of backpacks that were filled with supplies. Um, they had a truck that was filled with food and, and juice and stuff like that. There's about 30 real-life superheroes who kind of, um, you know, they went to the Comic-Con, but they really just wanted to take this trip so they could meet each other and collaborate on a big project. So they they drove these. I have to tell you, it's, it's depressing. You see the the fancy Comic Con, and then a mile away, there's a toll skid row. Yes, filled with homeless people. So um, they all pitched in and, and handed out all these supplies and got to enjoy each other's company. So Razorhawk from Minneapolis organized that. And since then, it's kind of franchised. So there are hope events in several different cities around the country every year, um, including I went again, uh, this is maybe a couple of years ago, I went to the Hope Chicago. And there was a good, you know, 20 real-life superheroes there doing the same thing. Is that where Crusader Prime is in Chicago? Yes, right. right. Crusader Prime, good guy. I was going to ask you how psychologists or sociologists view this subculture. Did you have a chance to talk to any of them? Yes. 
Uh, well, so one interesting thing is just kind of the empowerment that wearing a mask gives you. It gives you a different sort of feeling, you know. But the one psychologist I talked to um, said something very interesting. She was kind of exploring this theory that she has that people have something called extreme altruism. Um, and she found that it's actually similar to, you know, kind of being a sociopath, but there's a, a fine line difference. So, you know, the person that's willing to run into a burning building to save someone is um, kind of in the same tree, I guess, as someone that's maybe a little bit psychotic, you know, or uh, a sociopath. Interesting. So they're similar, but they're different. Almost like two sides of the same coin. Exactly. But yeah. one, obviously, is being channeled for positive results. Incidentally, have any of them rushed into a, a burning building to save someone? Not that I know of, but, I mean, some of them have definitely run into some scary situations, you know, like the, the Phoenix Jones story I told and um, other situations like that. Do you have a handle on how big a subculture is this? I mean, is there now essentially at least one real-life superhero for every major city in America? It's really, and this has always been a challenge for me, it's hard to keep track because um, you will see a lot of what I would call posers who maybe make a costume and take a picture of themselves in their backyard and then invent or at least their stories seem like they could be invented. And they'll kind of do that for a couple of weeks, and then they'll just disappear, you know. And people are constantly kind of quietly and mysteriously disappearing. Some of them come back. Some of them don't. So it's really hard to get a head count. But, um, you know, I do know I've seen a lot of pictures and a lot of videos of people actually out on patrols and stuff like that. So most major cities have at least one active real-life superhero. Some have a team. Um, definitely the biggest populations are in San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, there's also a lot in New York City. And, and Minneapolis actually has had a fair number, too. Are there any that have sort of developed certain pieces of technology, I don't know, let's say, for example, uh, any of them, maybe they're into parkour and they're able to scale tall buildings or maybe, and they, maybe they've developed some sort of equipment. Any, anyone like that who's kind of combined their inventiveness with, uh, with their superhero activities? Um, there are a couple that practice parkour. Definitely a lot of gadget building. Um, Can you give me an example? Because I love gadgets. Yeah. Uh, so one... Besides the real-life superheroes, there's they have these really cool, and again, they're kind of comic book counterparts. They call themselves builders that just, like, build stuff for them. So um, I remember one builder was working on something that I thought was kind of genius, which was a portable police light. So it would, if you saw, let's say you saw a group of people congregating and you thought they were going to do a crime, could stand around the corner and activate this so it would appear that there's a police car coming around the corner. But it's actually just a handheld device ah, that mimics okay. it. Right. Um, and then, you know, a lot of them do gadgets I think are kind of for show, grappling hook guns and stuff like that. <laughs> 
You gotta have so a grappling the, hook. You gotta have a grappling hook gun. Yeah. Um, so I thought the builders were interesting. The other kind of subcomponent, oracles. Oracles are people that don't want to patrol, but they're kind of the online support for real life superheroes. Right. Right. So like they the can look at crime maps um, yes. online and stuff like that. Yeah, so you got to have the computer nerd who's sort of communicating with them. Um, uh, yes, the perpetrator is heading east on Main Street. That kind of guy. Yeah, right. Uh, um, so like, a, like in the Batman comics, there is actually a character called Oracle, who was um, uh, a former. She was formerly Batgirl, but she got crippled, um, and she's in a wheelchair. But Batman will be zooming around. She'll be like telling him information in his earpiece about the building layout and stuff like that. Cool. Very cool. I was just wondering about um, my guys right now. Um, I found they're always looking for new YouTube channels, and they found this one where I can't remember the name of it, uh, but they build, for example, they try to reconstruct, you know, Thor's hammer, um, right. and it, but it's electrified. Oh yeah, I saw that video. That's You've cool. seen that? Oh my, my uh, guys go crazy over that stuff. So I'm just yeah. wondering if it, <clears throat> and anyone, any of these superheroes are trying to develop something like that. That would that would be dangerous, though. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Of all of the real-life superheroes that you've met, do you have a favorite? Well, you know, I met Thanatos, like I described Thanatos in Vancouver. I felt um, really inspired by him. I was like, this is maybe seen as kind of a weird thing that you're doing, but I think he has a really good heart. I think that he's um, trying to help people out who are, who are down and out. So... Um, he was definitely one of the favorite people that I met, but I, I met a lot of great real life superheroes and it's really fun because I'm still friends with a lot of them on Facebook. So, you know, I'll post something about my life and then Bob will have a comment and, and Jane will have a comment and then, you know, Red Defender RLSH will say good work, man. <laughs> so it's kind of fun having a bunch of real life superheroes as friends on social media. And I stay in touch with a fair amount of them. Geist was uh, from Minneapolis. That's a hotbed. That's a hotbed of superheroes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was swinging through Milwaukee, and um, he just kind of dropped in on me. And it was Literally? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he stopped by, and it was uh, it was unusual to see him not wearing a green cowboy outfit with, you know, his sunglasses and his bandana covering his face. Oh, and it, it kind of took me a minute. I was like, oh, yeah. This is a this fascinating, like. fascinating subculture that you've tapped into. A terrific book. Congratulations. I know it's been out a while, but again, it's Heroes in the Night, Inside the Real Life Superhero. T, I really enjoyed meeting you and having this conversation, and we're going to have you back on to talk about Monster Hunters. That sounds great. All right. All the best. Thanks, T. Thank you.